When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. This is the Project Upland Podcast, presented by Onyx Hunt. I'm your host, Nick Larson. On this episode of the show, we talk to Darrell Smith of the Gundog Notebook Podcast. Welcome to the show for episode number 90. Project Upland Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Use the promo code PUP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription today. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, out in the field, how you prepare determines how you perform. With balanced fat and protein to support peak condition in your bird dog, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food enhances strength, energy, and endurance. So when that tailgate finally drops, you and your dogs are ready for anything. Strong, focused, ready for anything, that is a Yukonuba dog. And by Gumleaf USA. 
High quality, handcrafted, premium rubber boots keep your feet dry, warm, and comfortable. Gumleaf has you covered. Head over to gumleafusa.com and use the promo code PUP10 to save 10% from Gumleaf USA. And by CZ USA Shotgun, CZ has a shotgun for you. Side by sides, over unders, semi autos. CZ makes great guns with the Upland Hunter in mind. Head over to CZ USA to check them out today. And by Dakota 283 Kennels. Kennels built to last a lifetime. One piece, rotomold design, frame steel door, everything you and your dog need in a kennel for a safe and successful hunting trip. Learn more about them at Dakota283.com. All right, this week's winner of the podcast giveaway is Randy Z from Missouri. Randy sent me an email, some feedback, a guest suggestion, a whole bunch of stuff, and he actually sparked some conversation between my guest and I on this episode of the show. So, Randy, thank you for making a contribution to the show. Anybody listening could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you have to do is leave us a rating, leave the podcast a review in the podcast app, subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast, or send us some feedback or a guest suggestion. We'd love to hear from our listeners. You can email me at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. All right, last podcast in January, which means February is right around the corner, and that means Public Grouse Film Tour and Pheasant Fest. The first half of February is going to be Upland-centric for a lot of folks. I hope many of you are going to get a chance to get out and see the Public Grouse Film Tour done in partnership with Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, Onyx Hunt, and Yukonuba. Get your tickets today. Some events are already sold out. Head over to backcountryhunters.org to find out more information on the Public Grouse Tour. And we hope to see a bunch of you at Pheasant Fest in Minneapolis Project Upland will be there along with just about everybody else, including probably all of our sponsors on the podcast. It's going to be a great time, and it's all in support of the mission of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Hope to see you there. All right, let's get into today's show. A guy that probably needs not so much introduction to many people that will listen to the show, but it could be your first exposure to Darrell Smith and his podcast, The Gun Dog Notebook Podcast, which we talk about today. Darrell and I had a good conversation talking about his intro to bird dogs, upland hunting, the origin story of his podcast. I hope you enjoy today's show. Let's welcome into the conversation and onto the Project Upland podcast, Darrell Smith. Darrell Smith of the gun dog notebook podcast welcome to the show man i uh i'm i'm excited to be here uh i don't know it's kind of weird being on the other side of the interview but thank you for having me on (laughs) (laughs) yeah it is i've had the opportunity to be the person interviewed a couple of times on various podcasts including once on your show Mm -hmm. which it is fun it almost do you get the same feeling where it's like you have no pressure. You're just like, hey, I'm just here to have fun. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fun, <laughs> you know, but it's just like, okay, I guess I spent, I don't really know what's coming my way. And I spent so much time like investigating, you know, the guests and stuff. And now I'm like, yeah. oh, well, what is there to look at on my end? So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, you your level of preparedness is less right now, but <laughs> you you're not under the gun, you know, you're not yeah. you're not pressured to keep things rolling. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, hey, look, it's going to be a good time now. Hey, I got a random question for you. Shoot away. Somebody emailed me today and suggested cuz we always ask for 
guest suggestions, right? People mm-hmm. have ideas and stuff. Somebody asked me, or they suggested Todd Agnew, breeder of Springer Spaniels. Yep. And they said he had been on other podcasts. Yep. And I asked which podcast so I could reference them. And he said, Gundog Notebook. Yeah. Yep. Tell me about Todd. So Todd is a phenomenal, phenomenal dog, man. He is, he's down here in Georgia, which is, you okay. know, which was a, a big surprise to me, but um, he's got that, like, been there, done that kind of, you know, kind of vibe. And, and you just want to sit there and listen to him. Um, you don't, you, you know, there's no, there are no cut corners with Todd. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Um, yep. You want a spaniel guy on that really knows his stuff and is invested in it. I mean, he's driving. And I'm going to tell you, to drive from Georgia anywhere outside of the South, just to train dogs is a big deal. And, I mean, he's made a life of it. He's also been very active in getting more people into the spaniel game. I mean, he's not really – he's no fluff, man. And I've yeah. seen, you know, a, a great – deal of his dog work like i followed him for a good while um i think you would be you know it would be a blessing to have him on the project upland podcast man cool yeah yeah that was the vibe that i got from uh randy the guy that emailed me and he also mentioned that i think todd had a i am way out of my lane yeah. when we're talking like flushing dog trials or anything like that, but mm-hmm. 2018 us open champion yes, dog. Does that yes, ring a bell? Yes. Yes. Okay. He does. And he, so it's funny. Todd is not like the type of person that'll go like super in depth about it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like he's very humble. Um, yeah. but I mean, he'll tell you about it. He'll, he'll tell you as much as you want to know, but I mean, his thing is the championships aside. What did the dogs look like at the end of the day? You know, um, yeah. And he's got, he's just got some nice working dogs, man. And there's a lot of guys down here in the South like that, or not even just in the South, just in general. I feel like there's a lot of folks that aren't necessarily running Spaniels in a way that is, that, that fully reveals their potential, you know, and their character. And I can say that down here, you know, people will put a, a, a spaniel. Most of the time, how it goes in the South, you got your pointers, right? And they go out and they go point birds and stuff like that. And then typically those those spaniels or retrievers are on a, a wagon, you know, and then they'll let the yep. spaniels off and send them in and then basically put them back up. And spaniels are not really, you know, they, they, they should run, you know, let them be flushers. Yep. And so Todd gets into that um, a great deal. And I mean, he works those dogs, man. And they're very, very well-mannered dogs. Awesome. Yeah. I'm definitely going to explore that suggestion just because the the other thing Randy pointed out when he emailed me is that we very often talk pointing dogs Mm -hmm. and rough grouse and woodcock on the Project Up and Podcast. And that's not necessarily intentional, Yeah, but in order to get out of those topics, Mm -hmm. I have to be very intentional about yeah. like booking guests and like I need to get more flushing dog folks on here. We try to, I really do try to sp- spread out geographically and yeah. interview people from around the country. Cause it's like, we know not everybody that listens to this can even hunt rough grouse and woodcock. Right. But that's just one of those things where, you know, it's, I got to step out of my comfort zone to, to go and talk to somebody like Todd about 
Springer Spaniels, but that's how you learn. Well, go, and I, I have the same issue. So the way that you guys are about grouse and woodcock, and mind you, this is the first time I ever hunted woodcock, and I saw the prettiest point out of my dog in my life. Like, <laughs> them little birds there make a dog look wonderful. But um, I have the same issue getting kind of, I kind of pigeon my, pigeonhole myself down here in the South because I'm very pointer, pointer, setter, 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 pointer, 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 setter, 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 because my mentors, those are the guys that's, those are the dogs that those guys have. And in the South, yeah, we have rough grouse down here, but mm, I mean, it's a, they're, they're less than a dime a dozen. You know, we got plenty quail down here if you know where to go look. And so it's, it, it's unintentional, you know, to our guests, both on your side and and my side, that we do kind of focus in these areas. Um, but if you want to get a hold of Ty, reach out to because Ty's not really like necessarily always on the internet. His wife is right. the one that really carries that. Okay. Um, and her photography is phenomenal. I think it's Christina Power Photography. Okay. Um, if I'm not I, I want to say that is the correct Instagram name. But cool. she, you know, she kind of nudged him and, and, and reached out to me and was like, hey, I think, you know, he'd be a good a good guest. You know, would you be interested in interviewing him? Um, and like I said, those are wild bird dogs. I think that's kind of the the one common thing that you and I have. We're hunting wild birds, period. Yep. And yep. Todd is taking these guys. He's he's bridging the gap between the south and the north, you know. Yep. He's, and he's going out to Kansas. So those dogs okay. are just as wild as anything else. Yeah. Good deal. Well, yeah. we talked a lot about Todd. We haven't talked <laughs> much about Durrell. <laughs> Look, that's, I told you there's nothing to talk about with me, man. Like Todd is, is the man. <laughs> <laughs> well, Durrell, let's use that as a, a little mini segue to, I want to hear from you. I want to get this is your first time on the Project Upland podcast. Many people listening, I assume, are familiar with your name. I hope they listen to your podcast. And if they don't, they're now going to have a good reason to listen right. to the Gun Dog Notebook. But just kind of give us a brief intro and as the host of the, the Gun Dog Notebook. Okay. Well, um, I'm the host. I, I, I started this podcast, founded this podcast uh, back in late 2016 early 2017 and um really it was just a way for me to document my progress you know so before i got into this you know i'm i'm from born and raised in atlanta one of the few things that you'll even hear down here now it ain't a whole lot of people that's really native to here anymore and i grew up um in Greenbrier, a, a, a part of Atlanta called Greenbrier, and I ended up, you know, later growing up in Riverdale. Well, once I got out of college, um, I've always had dogs throughout my life. But once I got out of college, I had a number of pit bulls that I had. And um, I was always writing, writing, writing. And, and training them was just fun. I was living by myself and and I was honestly training them to be protection dogs, you know. Um, yep. And they were very well-mannered dogs. They were very well-trained. That Everything that I know now about dogs, I was doing intuitively. So... Um, I had one pit that I ended up having to rehome. Um, she just, she got a little unhinged on me. And so, um, and that was right around the time my wife and I started, um, dating and I've known my wife since we were 12. So we rekindled and stuff like that. And and we were always really good friends. We start dating in my, my mid twenties. And, um, you know, I, I, I didn't want her around an unhinged dog. I could have dealt with it, but I just didn't want that. So I rehomed the dog is, you know, 
you know, great on great new owners. And, and so I told her, I was like, well, I still want a dog. And I, and I was interested in hunting, you know, I'd always shot squirrels and stuff with my granddad growing up. Um, but I, I, so I'd gone out a couple of times and I deer hunted in, and that wasn't really my thing. It was fun, but that wasn't really my thing. Um, but my buddy, a good buddy of mine, Eric, uh, Morris, he had taken me out over his Chesapeake Bay Retriever. It was, I mean, that, that dog to this day, his name is Razor. That dog to this day is, is a beast, you know, and, um, I was hooked, you know, I was hunting, you know, just some pen raised birds and I was hooked on it. So okay. I told my wife, I was like, well, I want to get a, a, a dog to hunt birds. I got my lab Ruger, which most people that listen to part, they know about Ruger now my lab. So that was the dog that I, I cut my teeth on and he did everything for me. Um, we didn't really do a whole lot of duck hunting <laughs> like most people would think. Um, we did a whole lot of upland and I, because that was what I'd fallen in love with. Well, okay. to this whole time I was writing, 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 writing. And I was, I'm just, I'm an artist. I journal everything. I, that's just what I do. So I had this composition notebook and I literally wrote the gun dog notebook on the front of it, not knowing what it was going to be. That's just what it was titled. Um, and so I, I'm flipping through Garden and Gun Magazine, which is a very popular magazine down here. It talks about Southern culture, so on and so forth. And um, and I'm trying to give an elevator, but basically I see these two guys in a magazine, um, Neil Carter and Curtis Brooks, They're two um, black dog handlers down here. Um, one worked for Sincola Plantation and... Um, which is Neil, right? Neil, yes, yes, okay. yes, Neil. And and so I was looking at those photos like, dang, like I want to be like those guys. Like they had these beautiful white pointers, you know, stacked up on uh, the yeah. back of a tailgate. And I was like, dang, like that looks cool. And um, so I'm going and I was bugging my wife about just talking about dogs. I'm rambling. And she was like, you know what? Why don't you start a podcast? You listen to a lot of podcasts. By this point in time, I was listening to Project Upland, listening to Hunt Dog Podcast, stuff like that. And um, and I was just, I was always journaling stuff. So I got, and I had this, I had this old, uh, red, uh, Dodge Ram 1500 two wheel drive. And, um, I would just get in there and get my iPhone and just start just recording episodes and just talking about what I was doing with my dog. Yep. And that turned into something, man. And I started writing articles and, and lo and behold, I, I get AJ on the podcast and, and we start talking there and AJ's like, Hey man, like you want to write an article for us. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, again, I don't know what I got to say, but <laughs> cool. And so um, one thing led to another thing, man. And I've always known that I've, I've been deep down, very drawn to white long tail pointers. Like I just, I've always been, and it's a part of Southern culture, you know, like sure. I yeah. went to college in Albany, Georgia, and I would always see it, but I never really got it until that moment I saw Neil and Curtis, you know, and, and ever since, man, it's been, it's been a rodeo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's a good intro. I have had the pleasure of sort of seeing your journey. Yeah. The Gundog Notebook podcast, you started before I did because I started in this podcast in late 2017. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think I remember at the time even seeing the Gundog Notebook podcast because I was looking, you know, what are the other hunting podcasts? Of course, I was yeah. listening to Ron Bames, the Hunting Dog podcast. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you were, you probably were like me, but I remember when Ron's podcast came out, which was, I think he says, 2015 yeah. or 16. It was a like minute that. ago. Yeah. Yeah. Like when that, but when that thing came out, 
that was it. That was it. And <laughs> I, re- I was doing a lot of driving at the time. Yep. I was working for Rough Grouse Society and I would, Ron would put a new episode up and I'd be driving from here to somewhere yeah. and listen to it. And you would just be dying waiting for the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> <Come> on, <laughs> I know you've interviewed Justin McGrail two or three times, but yeah, get him back on. Get him man. back on. And I would re-listen to those episodes oh, because yeah. that was all oh, yeah. it was. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I would, I, I, I've listened to probably, I guess if we want to go into seasons, I've listened to Ron's first and second seasons worth of episodes <laughs> yeah. two and three times over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would say I'm about due to go back and to listen to some of those early ones. Uh, yeah. The the interviews with Justin McGrail are my mm-hmm. favorites. Mm-hmm. And I always recommend those to people when they start asking about dog training, just because it's there. There's so much, they pack so much information in there and they're the classic question and answer format. And Justin's really good about like actually reading between the lines of what the person's actually asking and right. answering stuff, you know, but right. the reason I bring that up is because that was a time a few years ago where the Upland podcast world, hunting dog, bird dog podcast world was just kind of blossoming. And now there's, I can't, you can't <laughs> listen to them all. You know, I can't listen to all yours Darrell, right. and Tyler's and Travis's like, you can't keep up. We have, we have a good problem on our hands right. and there's a plethora of Upland podcast. So mm-hmm. it's a, uh, that's where we found ourselves. And the gun dog notebook is part of that, which is really cool. Recently in one of your recent episodes, you had AJ on again to talk about sort of a new direction of the gun dog notebook podcast. And I think this is a good point to talk about it because you just talked about how you got into it, which was basically just recording yourself, sort of jotting these things down, kind of doing a podcast journal right. and publishing that for people to listen to. And the Gun Dog Notebook has evolved just like the Project Upland podcast has and will continue to. Right. And you're sort of nice timing. It's 2020. It's a new year. You kind of have a new direction. <laughs> new year, new you, right? <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yep. It's a new year, new you. And why don't you tell us a little bit, you know, I hate to, again, we're not trying to throw an umbrella over the Gundog Notebook podcast and say, this is all you're ever going to talk about from here on out. But like talk about the new direction and sort of what you're going to focus on this year. Right. Okay. Well, it's one of those things where when AJ and I were talking about it, we, we looked back and was like, dang, like it kind of made sense. Why weren't we doing this before? Um, And I, and I really sat back and think to myself, how did I not see it? But a lot of my, influences come from the field trial world. I live in Georgia. Like it is the historically one of the, the, the field trial regions or States, you know, as far as bird dog history, like a lot of what goes into bird dogs comes out of Georgia. So, you know, a lot of the things that I was learning from, you know, Neil Carter going down there and working with him and getting to know him and, and doing that. Um, and then my other very, very good buddy and mentor, Bud Moore, who is killing the game right now as far as, you know, um, field trials with his young dog, Molly, like all of these things I was learning were coming from significant field trialers. And I mean, we're talking about broke dogs. I mean, these dogs are nice. And I just because there were so many good podcasts out there talking about dog training, which is great. There's so many different methods to go, you know, that, that all work. What I wanted to do was give it a little bit more of that, that what I call that master's degree tailoring, you know, really honing in on something that I'm more passionate about. Yep. Um, 
it's not so much about shooting birds to me as it is watching good, solid, quality dog work, but still staying in the developmental aspect of it and talking about what it means to now, you know, own and, and, and develop a field trial dog. Yeah. You know, um, there's a lot of misconceptions when, you know, AJ and I were, were talking and um, we have this conversation as much as we talk about some of the things that I do that are fundamentally, they're good. I mean, like some of the training methods and stuff that I do and I showcase and things like that, they work for, you know, theoretically any dog, but it, it's the understanding that where this stuff is coming from is predominantly based in field trials. Um, and what I am aiming for is a dog that is, you know, comfortable in that atmosphere, you know, um, yeah. and really getting down and, and hopefully asking the right questions, the, the tough questions and the, 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 the fun questions, whatever you want to call it, but getting down to really shedding some light um, and hopefully clarifying and introducing people to the field trial world. Right. You know, these guys have welcomed me um, with open arms, but that was also with the understanding that I'm going to respect the tradition, respect the craft and, and respect the art of bird dogs. You know, yep. what I want to do with this new direction is really, and I'm an artist. So I, I want to go into what it means to almost uh, sculpt, you know, a, a truly broke bird dog, you know, that is, that is at least competitive in the field trial world. Yeah. Yep. You mentioned Neil Carter Jr., right? Mm-hmm. I want you to interested in the, where you met him. I'm curious actually how you reached out to him and got to know him. And I will set the stage and just say that I don't know a whole lot about Neil Carter other than I know he is a bird dog man through and through mm-hmm. to his core. And my first exposure to him was the video mm-hmm. that was done by, by sport dog brand on mm-hmm. Sekola plantation. And this was like, this is one of my one of the videos that I saw. This was before Project Upland. Yeah, this but is an old. I know what you're seen, talking about. It's an old video. Yeah, I know you've seen this video. Yeah. It's for people that have seen and appreciate Project Upland videos. You need to go check this one out because this was, like I said, done before AJ was probably making videos at the time in his bedroom or something. Right. <laughs> but, but, you know, <laughs> right. like this video was out there, and it's about. Basically, it's about Neil Carter Jr. Mm-hmm. and Sincola Plantation is mentioned. Really, really cool, well done video. People get kind of get a taste of Neil Carter in that video. But with that said, Darrell, tell us a little bit about Neil and how you got to know him. Okay, so I I got to know Neil as far as the video. It's a sport dog brand video, the the the, the collar company. Yeah. Um, and honestly. Nick, when I think about it, like there was there was a very limited amount of bird dog media out there at the time. Like yes. when I look at this video, it was old, man. Like yes. it was very it's throw what would be considered throwback at this point. Right. <laughs> it's probably like, I don't know, six, seven years old. It, I don't probably, know. It probably about six, seven years old. Because <laughs> um, when I look at him in that video, he doesn't even look the same, you gotcha. know, now. You know, he, he's similar, you know. Yeah. Um, but we uh i i saw that video and what it did was was i thought it was a good highlight on southern plantation culture down here 
you know, and, and what you probably should expect to see um, typically an African-American dog handler, you know, you've got the horseback thing, you've got all of that stuff. And that's, that's a huge part of our culture. It just is for good and for bad. I mean, there yeah. it, it, every, I guess the, the part of it that I came in is I want to, you know, artic, you know, be articulate in talking about bird dog history. Like I said, yeah. good and bad and, and just be real about it, man. And right. so I, how I ended up meeting Neil, um, I had that, I took those photos out of, um, Garden and Gun magazine. And the, the article was written by, uh, I think his name is Erwin Greenstein. If oh, I'm yeah. not mistaken. I've read some of his stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He's, and, and, um, we've had a short conversation here and there, but I took the article out and I stuck it in that first gun dog notebook, that, that actual composition notebook I had. And I had that photo for like, a couple of years, like, and I, I had it matter of fact, right up until the point where I had, I was about to get my pointer, uh, which was two and a half years, give or take. Okay. So I, I'd, I'd always told myself, I'm going to meet that dude. Like I'm going to, I'm going to find a way to meet that dude. Um, because in the bird dog world, like you don't really being black, like you don't really see a lot of folks that look like you in this thing, like, and, and that's just the way it is, but the, we're, we're there and we're, the history is there. So I, um, I, I think I was looking through the magazine and I, and I, and I mentioned in that article that he worked at St. Cola plantation. And so I just straight up picked up the phone, man. And I called St. Cola. It was like, <laughs> yo, uh, there's a guy named Can I talk Carter. To Neil? <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, I was just like, I, and mind you like that, Thinking back, I don't know what I what I had going on in my mind at the time, um, but just to call down to a plantation like that's a very private estate, you know. Like they're, they're used to booking hunts. Yeah, like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it, it was. I I don't know what I was thinking at the time, but I was just like, it, I'm gonna man. meet that dude. And so um, the owner of this of the um, place, um, Gates Kirkham, is his name. And I've met Gates since then. He's, you know, cool dude. And um, we, I, Gates was like, oh, yeah, like Neil had just retired. So he wasn't there no more. And he was like, but I'll give you his cell phone number. And I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> That's what's up. So, um, you know, and so he, I get his number and I thank him. And um, I pick up the phone and I call Neil. And I get on the phone and what do I hear? I hear a bunch of dogs barking in the background and you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's what you would expect out of a retired plantation dog man. And, um, and he was like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, and I don't think he really, when I think back about the conversation, I think he was like, okay, like just somebody else that wants to come and work dogs. Like that was a normal thing for him. Sure. And so, um, I, he was like, you know, come down whenever you want to just, you know, let me know day or so beforehand and, and we'll get you situated. And I was like, okay. So my wife and I, I can't remember when we did it. I, I, to this day, I don't remember the date. I probably have it written down somewhere, but I, um, my wife and I, we packed up the truck and we drove from Atlanta to Thomasville four hours. And, um, we went on down and, and he gave me his address and, and I found him at his house. I pull up. He's got a kennel full about, I think he had seven or eight pointers at the time. Now he's got 10. Um, but I think he had seven or eight pretty beautiful white pointers in a, you know, in a kennel run and they hooping and hollering and barking. I got my lab in the, in the, in the back and, um, 
and I go and knock on the door and, and, and he opens up, he's ex- excited. Um, and he was like, Hey, how you doing? Let's go take out some dogs. <laughs> yeah. It's like, all right, cool. So Perfect. we go and we, we talk for a quick little second, but it was really about the dog. Work. And that's the type of folks that I like to meet. Like, you know, he was, and, and he was excited to meet some a young guy like myself. That's sure. like, you know, let me know. I, I just wanted to record a podcast with him. That first podcast that I record with him and he just poured, he just poured out, you know, yeah. and showed me so much stuff that I use nowadays in my own training. And so, um, from there, you know, he invited me to come back to the, um, the black handlers trial it's, it's called the Georgia, Florida shooting dog handlers club. And he was like, you know, come to the trial, see what you like. And, um, by that point, you know, we were talking to Will, AJ, and we, you know, got the whole film together, but I stayed down there with him for a little bit and, um, just learned, man, like, and every, he pulled like three or four dogs out and every one of them was just, just locked up on point beautifully, you know, and he was telling me how to do this, how to do that, how to get a dog to stand tall. And, and then started going over just the history, man. Like we talking about a hundred some years worth of, of, of African-American bird dog history that wasn't written down. Yeah. And, and I was, I, from that point, I was like, you know, Mr. Carter, like, <laughs> I hope you don't mind me bugging you too much, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be a regular right. visitor here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, that, I mean, so that was the story. Yep. The film you mentioned, that's the hard day riding. Film, hard day right? riding. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about that a little bit. People can go watch it. I'll throw a link to it, but. Okay. So hard day riding was interesting. It was very interesting. So first of all, um, and I want to give a shout out to, um, Will Sensing, the project yep. upland photographer and my buddy Hunter Morton. Um, that whole, from the, the time that that trip even started to the moment that it ended, it was, it was a long couple, like day and some change. Um, <laughs> So I go and I pick up Will from the um, the hotel. He had flown in and stuff like that. I think I dropped him off at the hotel. Um, and we he comes over to the house. My wife is is kind of like she had something to do, so she was like, "Look, here's some pizza. Like, you know, there you go." She or we ordered a bunch of people and just and talked and got to know each other. And so he's you know kind of photographing stuff and filming this and and um, we're talking. My buddy Hunter who. Uh, is over all in kennels. He has short hairs. Okay. Um, he's a trainer out and uh, in South Carolina. Well, he, young guy like me, you know, working on his masters and stuff. And so we, all of us, had pretty much talked, and and we were gonna drive my truck down to Thomasville. Um, so we left it like, like Will and I were getting ready around like one something in the morning. Jeez. Yeah. And um, Hunter was like, "Look, I'll be there." So right as we were like packing up and getting ready to go, Hunter pulls up, throw his dogs on the back of the truck or not throw his dog, throw his um, luggage and stuff, whatever he had on the back of the truck. And we shoot on out. It's a four hour drive. We get down there. And by this time I had Vegas, my, my, my youngest dog, my pointer yeah. Vegas, when he was a little itty bitty thing, man, like I was holding him in my hand, you know, <laughs> like as we were going down that. there. And so, um, you know, we get down there and Neil pulls up and he's got these horses in tow, you know, and his big old, you know, three thirty five hundred to three fifty, whatever it was. And um, his son, Shed, is with him. And uh, we get out and it's like, oh, hey, what's up? You know, all, that whole thing. 
Um, and I just, all I could do, Neil looked at my dog and I, I just handed it to him. It was like, you know, getting crowned or something like that. Right, like, right, right. <laughs> I was like, please touch this dog. Whatever you do to yours, he needs to touch mine. <laughs> so there's a photo that I have. Um, I like screenshot it or something, but Will got the video of it, of me passing him Vegas. Yes. Um, which was a, a, a pivotal moment for me. Um, that's cool. Yeah. It's, it, and so we end up going. And so we drive out to Boston, Georgia, which is like, it's, it's right outside of Thomasville, um, to Mayhaw plantation. And that's where the trial was going to be held. And man, we get there. And I tell people all the time, it felt like a family reunion. Like it's just, everybody gets out and they, you know, all the plantation handlers, all the, all the black trialers, because it, it, it doesn't matter who you are to come, but the only people that can come based on the history are the African-American dogmen. And so we get out and Neil's got a Jeep for us and stuff like that. They're unloading horses. I mean, it's this whole thing, man. And everybody's laughing, giggling and little trash talk here and there. Like, you know, just yep. what you would expect out of, out of, out of that whole, you know, experience. But it was, it was very life changing for me. You know, I saw what it was that I was truly aspiring to. And man, we get there and they cut them dogs loose. Um, and they just shot out, man. Like they just shoot out and they're covering ground beautifully. I mean, it's, it's just the most, it's, 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 there's like a finesse that is in that dog work. Um, and it had rained hard that day. I mean, it rained real hard. Um, and so it was hard and I was nervous for Will cause I was like, man, how are you going to get these shots? You know, because we couldn't really get as close to the dogs as we wanted to because we right. got stuck in mud. Yeah. And trying to pull a, a Jeep out of mud in the middle of a field trial wasn't going to happen. Um, Plus, you got a an event going on. And right. Will's got to be a little bit careful about where he's right. going and everything. But, right. Yeah. Now, Neil was all for it. <laughs> Neil was like, if y'all don't get these boys to the front of the line and stuff like that. I mean, like, he was like, get them up to the front. Like. <laughs> Was so, that the first field trial you'd ever been to? That was the first that I had been okay. to. Um, that was the first. That was, um, I didn't know what to expect. Sure. Um, and I saw, I mean, dogs, they didn't creep. They didn't blink the wrong way. And if they did, they got carried off the field. And that just was what it was. Um, I saw the level of dog work that I expect out of Vegas, you know, at this point in time. Um and we get there, the food was good, and the award ceremony, I mean, it was like a big family that came together all at the end. Now, when dogs was on the ground, it was game time. You know, we ain't friends right now. Yeah. But at the end of it, man, everybody comes together, and um, and so we headed, we, we, we went on back home. It was a four-hour drive. It was a long four hours drive. Like, we were tired. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was great to see how many dogs were just that well developed, you know? Sure. Yeah. 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 That's cool. I, four or five years ago, I would not have, not that I wouldn't have appreciated it, but I wouldn't have known what I was seeing Yeah. now. Like I've been candid about my journey with bird dogs. You know, I have my Mm -hmm. first one and I've learned a lot in the last five years. I would love to go to an event like that now. Yeah. Just, again, to see sort of the power and the caliber of dog that you're talking about, because my understanding of it would be so much greater today than it was, mm-hmm. you know, a few years ago. But, well, I mean, it, it changes you, man. Like 
what I I'm glad that I started with a lab and it's no knock to to the breed or anything like it's just I would have I would not have done what I've done with Vegas now if I had not seen it first. Yep. Is that start with the end in mind mentality? You know, That's my lab did point. everything that I needed and did it well and does it well. Um, but man, that the the art of training a pointer or a setter, man, like it's it's a different ball game. It's it's they're just it, it's like playing baseball and basketball, apples and oranges, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've interviewed Neil on the Gun Dog Notebook a couple times now. Yes. Yes. Okay. So we'll definitely encourage people to. Go check those out because I actually haven't had the chance to listen to them. But yeah, they're sure old episodes. They're they, you got to right. go back a little bit. Okay, yeah. what just not to dive too deep, and we can you know we'll we'll herd people over to listen to those episodes if they want to hear more from Neil. But yeah. what are some of those like the high points or maybe little tidbits of wisdom that you've pulled from Neil? Kind of the like aha things that you've said like wow, I never would have thought of that. Anything come to mind? Yeah. Um, first of all. And I hear it's it it sounds redundant, but every great trainer that I met, Neil being the, the, my number one, um, you got to know your dog, you know, like you got to watch them. You you got to sit down and let that dog run around and just watch his quirks, watch the things that are expected of it, and you have to set in that expectation very firmly, like not physically, but like. You mentally have to be in one accord with that dog and set the foundation to the point where that dog knows it's a non-negotiable period. That was one thing. Um, number two, and this kind of goes into the barrel thing and, and, and the, the rail. I know you're a buddy. Um, you're friends with my buddy, Paul Cook. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Barrel and the rail is the on, same thing. Paul's rail. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it, like the point of all of that doesn't matter what type of dog, trial or no trial, guide, no guide, whatever, get the dog off his feet. Mm-hmm. A dog is going to learn. Um, it's going to be most receptive to learning if it is off its feet. And by off his feet, I mean off the ground. Yes. You know, um, and some people are going to disagree. It's not about right or wrong. This is the way that I'm learning. Um, and also, man, like I enjoy training by myself. Neil trains a lot by himself. Um, because it really gives you that time to process and really work through the kinks and you're not worried about other pain. Now there's merit, there's value in training with others too. I I do that as well, but you know, Neil showed me his whole setup, um, his kennel, his training area, all of that stuff. And it doesn't take a whole lot of space, you know, takes enough, but what you're really looking for is to be able to manage that dog five feet away from you. If he can do it five feet away from you, you can do it 10 feet away. He can do it 500 yards away, mm-hmm. but developing that puppy and then taking that puppy, all of everybody that I've talked to Neil Curtis, um, but you know, when I watch them work dogs and it's something that I need to be better about is not talking to the dog while he's on point. You know what I'm saying? Like, yep. yeah, you want to cast them. Yeah, you want to send them this way. And 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 hey there. And if you watch my videos, I'm good for singing to them and stuff like that. But when that dog is finally on point and not being woed into a point, no. When that dog finds that point himself, that's between God, that dog, and the bird. You have nothing to do. And and every time I've seen Neil work dogs, 
there's nothing there, there's there's no further interaction after the 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 establishment of the point yep. and that's helped me out tremendously yeah that's something that i've picked up along the way and i i feel like it's a pretty common theme amongst the trainers that maybe it's just the trainers that i am pulled to or right. drawn to and to what they say but as a general rule the less you say to your dog the better when you're in the field hunting right because when you're in the field and you're hunting it is a it's a reputation it's a representation right of everything that you've done mm -hmm. beforehand to prepare your dog for that moment, that time. Once you get out in the, you can't train a dog while you're hunting him to right. a certain extent, right? right. Like you'll right. hear trainers say that. So at that time, you want to get to that moment where you let the dog do what he's going to do. And unless you can legitimately enforce something or make a correction, zip it, let the dog do what he's going to do. do. What he's going to do. And I, and I've, I've, even seen that um, recently, you know, I was down at um, a, a friend of mine, um, Daniel Howell, down at his farm, um, you know, and he's really looked out for me, he brought a buddy, um, Tom Hennis down, and I was able to, to borrow their horses and stuff like that. Um, but Tom said to me, like, Vegas was doing really, really well the whole weekend, right? This whole past weekend. And it was like one or two instances where he started flagging his tail. And Tom was like, you were fine until you started talking to that dog on point. Stop doing that. And I didn't even realize I was doing it. And what happens is you start to jar that dog's confidence. And now he's like, well, wait, wait, why are you talking to him? I know what I'm doing. Yep. And every other time, I mean, poker straight tail, you know, and, and that was a, and as soon as I shut up, dog's tail goes back straight. And this was an old timer telling me like, Hey man, the dog knows what he's doing. Yeah, you're almost a distraction at that point. The dog is yeah. focused on what he needs to do, and you need to stay out of it. Stay out of it, man. And we have, as human beings, I think we spend so much time trying to control stuff. You know, yeah. like we we're into bird dogs. Honestly, I, I think there's a piece of us that that might semi enjoy that lack of control. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we. Maybe it's this is just two podcast hosts talking, but <laughs> I know that I have a hard time shutting up sometimes. <laughs> Bruh, you see, I can get on here and talk. <laughs> uh, we're going to transition a touch. I want to essentially fast forward now. You've got Vegas, mm -hmm. your two and a half year old pointer. He's one. 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 Just oh, turned one. Yep. Okay. Okay. So now you've had exposure to the field trial world. You have been on your upland hunting journey for a little while, you have, you know, you have a depth and breadth of experience to sort of act as a foundation. And it's like, what, what are you envisioning for Vegas? Your pointer at this time, ha has he run in uh, puppy stakes trials yet? Or is that on the to-do list? So he will be running his first Derby stake. Um, okay. he's a young Derby. I mean, he's still got another year under the books for, to be able to run Derby. So he will be running his first Derby stake, um, okay. February 8th, matter of fact, um, oh, at the, um, yeah, like very soon at, at the Rocky <laughs> Creek, um, field trial club. And, um, it's American field It's under Dixie trace, like the, the organization is a part of American field. But, um, you know, I go off of what I've seen off of Vegas and I've seen Vegas, you know, be a broke dog. He's broke to flush, shot, and kill. Um, I've already killed birds over him. They've fallen, and he stand sitting like a statue. 
that is my expectation for him during a trial. Um, I want a, and, and this is kind of what I expect out of LHU dogs. Cause he's, he's, you know, he goes back to that. I know you had Craig Doherty on recently. He talked about yep. a little bit about that. Um, you know, Vegas is, is LHU. He goes back to snake foot line and, and, and guardrail okay. and strike and all of that stuff. So what I expect is a dog that knows how to hunt on foot and a dog that can transition to hunt on horseback. Um, and he's shown me that thus far. You know, my expectation of him is is to do what I've already seen. But honestly, if I'm being if I'm really, really filtering it down, um, I'm going to steal this one from Tommy Rice, a, 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 another friend of mine. And sh- man, like Tommy is is the, the, the champion right now for the um, open shooting dog stakes um, nationally. But Tommy talked to me and he was like, look, what you should look for out of your dog is for him to be able to run a clean race. Run that 30 minutes, um, find birds, hold birds, little to no mistakes if possible, none if possible, and to not have to pick him up. If we can do that, um, I think we're in the money. He's a, he, he, he's already had his teeth cut on wild quail down here, which is, it was, it's tough to get a young dog on, you know, on that. And he's had a lot of exposure to that. So now he's got the manners to, to be able to, know how to handle himself in those situations and give me a couple natural backs. If I can, if I, cause he, he decides every blue moon, whether he wants to back or not. Yeah. You know, out of, out of four times, he'll give me three out of four times where he's like, Oh, I'll back. And in that fourth time, he's like, ah, I'm good. So <laughs> I just want a clean race, man. Yeah. And I want him to get out there, stay out there. If I can get him over 250 yards consistently in front of a horse, at that point in time is between God, the birds and the dog. I ain't got nothing to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's cool, man. Yeah. Uh, what I wanted to know is with the trial coming up in a couple of weeks, are you, are you working on certain things with Vegas right now? Or are you kind of just exercising them, getting them in shape? What are you doing you know, in the last couple of weeks before the trial? So I have been polishing up his, his um, steadiness. So the last few weeks, I've been making sure that he is not breaking after the shot. Okay. Um, and he's been good on that. I've been making sure that he's backing. Um, and if he's not naturally doing it in a derby state, they'll allow you to at least, you know, tell the dog to stop. Yeah. Um, and I've honestly been just making sure he stays to the front. Um, that's really my my biggest thing is making sure that he stays ahead of me. And he handles appropriate, uh, you know, a- appropriately and mannerably. Um, but as far as workouts now, this past weekend was about as far as I'm going to go. Um, it's kind of like athletes. You know, I used to run track before you get, um, you know, to a serious meet. You start to kind of take down your workout. Um, and I- I've had some pretty good advice to just start decreasing the amount of work, keep them polished, but don't run him so hard to where he's tired by the time he gets to the trial. Sure. Yeah. So just, just maintaining those elements that I've seen from him. Cool. What access to training resources do you have? Meaning where do you, where do you run your dogs? Are you, you have birds, you got a pigeon coop, you got grounds right outside or you got to bring them somewhere. How do you do that? So what I do, um, 
Living in Douglasville, I live in Douglasville, Georgia, which is about 30 minutes outside of Atlanta. We've got land. And so I, um, I have a nice little open training ground. Nobody really uses it. It's just like an open tract of land and it just, it's like good habitat for birds, I guess. Cool. Um, so I will keep, um, pigeons like homing pigeons. I keep them in my backyard. And if I can't get out to the larger tracts of land that my buddies afford me to be able to run, um, I'll just go out to my, my personal training ground, which is real close. Um, I keep two or three pigeons in the backyard for, um, recently one I'm kind of got scooped up by a hawk. That's kind of the downside of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, what I do not now, but every blue moon, I built a, um, a recall pin and it's small. Like you, you take a little like office supply crate and yep. basically put wire around it and make it, um, to where the birds can get in and out of it. And I, I would get quail and put like, eight to 10 of them in that little crate and put a, a little uh, coffee can in there f- to be able to feed them yep. um, and just put feed in there. And then I'd, I'd hoit, you know, tie that to a string and tie it up a tree or pull it up a tree. And then I would take a male bird and put it in a, um, a bucket in the top of another tree right next to that same tree. That's my recall bird. And so I would keep those birds in there, feed them, keep them in there for about a week, week and a half. And then low, you know, and, and I would lower it and stuff like that just to keep them active. Yep. Um, and I would lower it. And what I would do every morning was um, release two at a time after about a week and a half. And they would go because I've got like a wooded area behind me. It's like two okay. or three hundred yards worth of wooded area. Um, and so they would, you know, trickle out, trickle out, trickle out. And I would dump food at the base of the tree to keep them and, you know, keep them near me. Yep. So after them being out, I've, after I've emptied them i would take two or three out a day and just let them be that recall bird would keep calling them back to the tree after about a week another week and some change they start to act real wild like real scary real skittish and stuff like that so i would then take vegas up you know to my training area my 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 backyard training area and i would you know kind of move the birds flush them off into the woods Mm mm-hmm give it about 30 minutes, take Vegas up there and just have him hunt. And for the longest time, he would ping pong birds probably, you know, he would ping pong birds about three or four times. I mean, just he would knock them, knock them, knock them, knock them. And it took one or two birds towards the the latter end of that week. And he just got frustrated. I saw it in his body. Actually, I saw it all. And he just got frustrated and just froze up. Um, and that's when I started to realize that, okay, now this dog gets it because in birds, they were, they were wild. We got crows that are trying to kill them. We got all kinds of stuff. So, you know, they were flushing like way he wasn't ahead of catching him. them is really the yeah, point. They there. weren't, they yeah. weren't going to let that happen. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that really helped me a ton. Um, and then what I also do when he's a pup and I'm going to do it with my, I got another dog coming up very soon. What I'm also going to do um, with the next pup is I have a pigeon pole. I have two pigeon poles. Okay. I have a short one that's about four or five feet, and it's tethered to a, a pigeon. A pigeon, the, the line is maybe two or three feet, and I tether, and I just raise it, and I let him dive at that bird every time until he just got tired of it and started pointing. Then a Neil Carter trick, I took a 20-foot pigeon pole, PVC pipe, and uh, uh, dug a um, a uh, piece of rebar into the ground 
And at that point, you know, stuck the, the PVC pipe is probably about a half inch, you know, in diameter at 20 feet, it starts waving around. And so it's got some give for that bird to flush. Yeah. And I would just let him repeat point birds, repeat and, and it developed that point and drive. So when I can't get out to train, I've got a 20 foot PVC pipe with about a 50 foot, you know, nylon cord. And that dog gets as much practice as we can possibly get. And then to polish him, um, my pigeon's home. So, you know, I just, I, I, I give him a test and put that bird way back in the woods and, you know, he'll go and point it and I flush it and it'll go off or whatever. Um, and, and then head on back to the coop. And from there, that's when I started doing the process of breaking them, you know, and just really getting him to stop and stand his birds, you know, after the shot. Cool. So he's getting yard work. He's getting out exercising and he's got his first trial. Oh man. It, it, he gets it in. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, before we wrap up, I do want to chat briefly about 2019 slash 2020 hunting season, bird hunting season. Cause I know you did some hunting this year. Is your season still open? Do you have wild bird season still open down there right now? Yeah. So it's open till just about the end of, um, February. Okay. Just give or take about the end of February. Yep. All right. Yep. yep. Have you been out recently or no? So I went at the end of December. Um, and then after that, I just stopped hunting per se. I needed to start doing trial training. So I've been down to um the the Florida, Alabama line doing work, but I pretty much, you know, I got this weird thing about not really wanting to shoot up a lot of my wild birds. Sure. Cause I've kind of found a honey hole. Um, and so after I shot two or three of them, um, I give myself like a limit of six during the whole season. Yeah. So that way I know where they're, they're going to be there next year. Um, I pretty much quit hunting, man. Um, and I'm really got, I really got to stop hunting cause I just broke the firing pin on my shotgun. So. <laughs> Yeah, so, you're done now. That's pretty much over for me right <laughs> do you have now. A, do you have a second barrel though? Yeah, dude. I I it's a single trigger and none of it won't go off. Period. Oh, so it's um it's the second barrels based on the firing of the first barrel. Yeah, I, I think, think that's so. I'm not a gunsmith, I, but me either. <laughs> I, I look when I went to shoot it. Um, I went out this past weekend to do some um to run one of the dogs that I'm going to start guiding with and. I was trying to shoot a bird and it definitely, neither one of the barrels went off. <laughs> so I, I don't know if I shot the gun too much or did whatever, but that gun is not firing. Not to disparage the maker of said shotgun, but what kind of, no, I love, kind of- I love it. I I love it. It's a Beretta 686 silver oh, okay. pigeon, okay. Um, yeah. a 20 gauge and 30 inch barrels. I love the gun. It has nothing yeah. to do with the maker. It's, and it's they me. have a <laughs> reputation that is such that uh, one issue mentioned on this podcast is not going to tarnish the reputation of Beretta. Right, 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 right. Yeah, no, it is. It is definitely, um, you know, is is definitely not the maker. I'll tell you that now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was one of my fi- final wrap up questions for you. Was going to be, uh, what's the shotgun that you pick up most often? Uh, so Beretta six eighty six over yeah, and under. It, did you say, man, that did you thing say is like my gauge? third arm. <laughs> what gauge did you say it was? Uh, it's a 20 gauge. 20 gauge. All right. Yep. Okay. 20 gauge. Um, I would like to shoot maybe a 14 or 28 at some point. Yeah. Definitely. You, I would, I would give the 28 a shot. That's, uh, 
I got a little bit of experience with it last summer shooting a lot of sporting clays with the 28. I carried it only a few times in the woods, but that's a, that's a neat gauge for sure. Okay. Okay. I, w- I want to give it a shot, man. I yeah. definitely do. Any other, I know that you joined up with Will Sensing again and a couple other folks for the public grouse hunt, which was a little bit of a destination hunt for you. Tell us about that briefly. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd you go? What were you trying to shoot? And did you shoot anything? <laughs> what What was I trying to shoot? We were trying to shoot some grouse is what we were trying to do. <laughs> rough rough grouse, that is. Rough grouse. Yeah. Um, so North Carolina, I was in the, in the public grouse film that's coming up soon. Um, I was in the North Carolina segment. Yeah, and Will and I picked him up from the airport, and and we drove from Atlanta to, to North Carolina, about three hour drive, give or take. Um, and that first time, so I went out twice. I went out once with Will and once without him. Um, the first time, man, we didn't see nothing but woodcock the whole time. I mean, and and we flushed four or five woodcock, you know, and it was good. It was a two day trip. Um. And we went with um, Mike Nadusky, yeah, Mike Nadusky, and an, and another gentleman named uh, Tyler Ross went out there. Mike says he saw a grouse, and I'm gonna take him up on it. Now I wasn't there for it; I was on the other side of the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he said, like right at the end of the trip, he said he had gotten a a, a, a grouse flush. Now I didn't understand, you know, I'm a quail hunter, so. I didn't really understand like why people counted flushes and stuff yeah, like that yeah, yeah. until I did it. <laughs> and then <laughs> I was like, okay, now I get it. Like it, they're just way too far off. So then the second time I went back to North Carolina and I hunted a different area. Um, and a buddy, Noah Smith gave me a little bit, you know, good of a read, a, a pretty good read on kind of a different area to go to. Man, I hunted all day. I mean, I hunted all day. Didn't see nothing. About fell down the mountain, did all kinds of stuff. And it's just me, Vegas, um, and Ruger. Um, not to mention the fact that I didn't have an e-collar on the dog. So just crazy circumstances. So <laughs> we were trying to figure that out, man. And I got to the end of the logging road. My dogs didn't point. There was no flush and I stopped to take a breath and I was, it was like getting towards the end of shooting light towards the end and a dang grouse flushed right to my left side, man. Right when you like, stopped. Yeah. <laughs> it was, and I was just like, really? We did all of this walking and I, I, I don't, I, I don't know if it was just, I don't know what, why it just so happened to be right there when I stopped of all the places in that huge, you know, mountain. Yeah. Well, that is definitely the coincidence is definitely that the grouse happened to be right there where you stopped. But if you keep grouse on, that will happen to you again, because that any, anybody that spends a half decent amount of time in the rough grouse woods knows that when you stop, you just happen to stop in that particular spot. And there is a rough grouse in the vicinity. That's the time they go because you stopping unsettles them and they, yeah. They, it, whereas if somebody walks by with a steady pace, they're not as nervous. They're just more apt to 
sit still, freeze. They're they're confident in their camouflage. But if you stop, they get unsettled, and that's when they flush. So that's not uncommon, but it is crazy that you walk all day and you just happen to stop right there, and there's a grouse. <laughs> well, Nick, you should have told me that, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you know, man. So actually, to to sort of fully bring that to uh, like a takeaway for people, for anybody that doesn't know this, it's pretty common knowledge if you do a lot of reading or research into rough grouse hunting, especially if you are hunting them without a dog. One of the most mentioned tips for hunting rough grouse would be to every 50, 75, 100 yards or so, I mean, basically you can't do it too much, right. would be to stop. It's just as much as you can handle it patience wise to stop and stand there and you don't have to be there for minutes you know it could just be really 15 20 30 seconds i mean right. and be ready when you stop because that's when the bird's going to go if he's there wow see i, I would have never known that man <laughs> yeah i just i never thought about it and it was just the weirdest thing because we didn't see anything all day yeah so but it it was definitely fun i'll tell you that yeah well that's good that's good to hear that you had fun i mean when you got dogs on the ground you guys, you didn't encounter, you more than likely didn't encounter a ton of birds because your dogs would have found some, right? So right. it's the right. the coincidence there is that the one bird you did encounter happened to be right there. But again, if you're in an area where there's where grouse numbers are good, it's very common for your dog to be off one way, finding or not finding birds, and you might foot flush one, two, three, four, you know, that's, that happens in the grouse woods, but, right. uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully next time you get out there, you find a few more and hopefully the dogs get to find some, cause I know that's what you want to happen. Yep. 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 We, we gonna get it, man. I, I, yep. I, I located it on my, my Onyx maps. You know, I want to get him a shout out. Oh, yeah. Cause oh, yeah. now I know where to go back. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. You got that, got that waypoint saved yeah. and uh you can even share that with me with a picture attached to it right yes i will do that matter of fact i will send that to you when you come down here man i'll give you the exact location there pictures go. and any other information i got on it <laughs> all right man uh we're gonna we're gonna wrap oh did you go anywhere else hunting any other hunts this year um i mean i did some wood duck hunting recently okay um most of my hunting this year was just quail just so i could get my dog you know, exposed yeah. to it. You got um, a young dog. It, so. For me, it was a little bit, it was less about diversity and more about technique. Um, this is the first time I ran my, uh, lab with my pointer. Okay. And, 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 and that worked out really, really well. So now they are a hunting pair. And, uh, once I get this third dog, we'll have a, a whole little team and I'll, 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 um, I just started guiding recently. So okay. that's kind of the, the 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 I guess the direction I'm trying to kind of fill in and, yeah, and get them acclimated to hunting with each other. Cool. Yeah. When is dog number three on the way? June supposedly. So she right. it, she's supposed to be um the the dam is supposed to be bred in February. Matter of fact, gotcha. And I sh based on what I was told, I should be able to pick her up around June. Um. And she's she's coming from some power, man. It's a it's a um, feral Miller line and and a uh, fun seeker rebel dog. So it's just just very strong field trial lines. Yep, I said I wanted a plantation dog, and I got one. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man! That's exciting. You and I are on similar timelines. I yeah, I, I was wondering when you gonna pick up your dog. Yeah, it's uh, sa same situation. The there are a number of planned breedings that I don't. 
I'm, I haven't selected a, a specific breeding yet. I, I obviously, I have a deposit in with the breeder, but there's a number of planned breedings for this year and the pups, they're actually, the first couple of, uh, breedings are, were expected to have happened already, but they haven't. So everything's kind of sliding back, but if all goes according to plan sometime later this year, 2020, I will have another English setter on my string. Okay. Okay. Well, look, um, I, I got to meet you. I'm supposed to be going up to, uh, Wisconsin I know. to hang out with Paul. Hang with Paul. Yep. Yep. So we, I, I look, I hope you got that little putt by the end. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If, uh, if Paul and me can wrangle you up to this neck of the woods, I will, uh, we'll, we'll get out and go hunting for sure. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Lightning round here, Darrell. We already got your shotgun that you pick up most often the 686 Breda 20 gauge. What pair of boots do you strap on? Ooh. Do you have a favorite? Do you just wear whatever's there? What do you like for boots? So my favorite and what I'm wearing right now um, are the Thoroughgood, uh, Thoroughgood boots. Okay, um, yeah, I I'm cannot familiar. remember the 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 actual name, but they're Thoroughgood. They're like I think like six inches up on my my, my shin. Yeah, and them things they're not the most comfortable boots in the world, but they are hands down like they can take a butt whooping in the woods. You know, um, you know, they, they your feet hurt a little bit afterwards, but I, I really like them. Um, I, I just do, man. Um, I don't slip, I don't slide. You know, it's it, they're just they're just a good pair of hunting boots. They're sturdy. Um, I roll my ankles a lot, and I have yet to do that. I have yet to do that in those boots. You got the support that you need. Yep. All right. Yep. Uh, last one for you. What is an essential piece of gear that you try not to leave home without? Could be something for your dog, something for you, some piece of gear that comes to mind. Anything? Um, it's, I guess it's one piece of gear, but it comes in two parts. Um, my pinch collar, my leather pinch collar and the check cord, you know, um, I don't go anywhere without a check cord, man. And, uh, you know, a pinch collar is it, it, Mo Lindley. He, I interviewed him in a podcast, and he he said it very well. But it's probably more so for me than it is a dog. Like it, it, it really teaches a dog to heal and and keeps him under control. Um, so more than anything else, I walk around the woods. But if I don't have a check cord and pinch collar, I I am not going. <laughs> All right, man. Well, that that'll do it for us on this episode of the Project Dublin Podcast, Darrell. Thank you very much for taking the time to join me on the show. This won't be the last time our listeners hear from you. I encourage everybody to check out the Gundog Notebook podcast. If they are unfamiliar with it, I'll drop some links in the show notes and we'll make sure people know where to go. But thank you very much. Any place that you want to direct people, social media accounts, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, go, the Gundog Notebook podcast on Instagram, um, you know, spelled just like it sounds, it's just one word. Um, the gundog notebook, uh, dot com, my website. Um, I have a Facebook group and I have a listeners page as well. The gundog notebook podcast listeners group. Um, the project upland community, you know, go there. Um, you know, and, and then I, I just recently, um, put up a YouTube channel, just some of my training clips and things. It's nothing major, but. I think it's good content and showing, you know, showing off Vegas before this good old trial. So I definitely direct people there um, to the Gundog Notebook YouTube channel. Awesome. And I should mention that Gundog Notebook 
episodes are also available via projectupton.com under the listen tab. They can find it there too. So yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, absolutely. Um, visit project upland. We've got, I've got a lot of new good articles coming out as well. So just a ton of content. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right, man. Well, again, I, I really do appreciate it. I wish you and Vegas the best luck on February 8th. I'm looking forward to hearing how things go for you and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. And thank you for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure. Take care, Darrell. All right, man. Take it easy. See you, buddy. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.